Hey. Hello. How's it going? It's going. Good. Welcome, all you little parasites, to another episode of Creeptology. I am your host today, Michaela. And I am Salem. Hello. Hello, hello. So, we have another tasty little morsel for you guys today. I am so intrigued and interested in what you're going to tell me about. At first, like, when you told me George Parrot, I was so confused, and then you kept going, and I just, like, the fuck. The fuck? (laughs) That's the only reaction to this story that I can, like, possibly have is the fuck? Oh, just wait till we get into it. So today's tale is one from my homeland, the Wild West, and today's story has just a little bit of everything in it. You know, cowboys, train robberies, murder... And not to mention some questionable fashion choices. Well, it is Wyoming. It is Wyoming, so... But before we get started today, we need to discuss a few things. Our sources. Yeah. My sources. Your sources. Because I did the research. Yeah. So my main source for today is the Wyoming History Encyclopedia and a news article from the Carbon County Journal dated March 26th, 1881, titled Gone Up Higher. Let's get shooing. (laughs) 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 Yes, we will. So, to set the scene for the story, takes place in the Wild West of the 1800s in Wyoming. So we got the Rolling Hills, Vast open spaces, horses, and a bandit or two. You know, typical. Quick draw battles. Quick draw battles, shootouts. Tumbleweeds. Saloons. Right. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. But this tale follows the fate of a one George Parrott, better known as Big Nose George. What an unfortunate nickname to have. Like... First you get saddled with the last name Parrot, and then you got people making fun of your nose. Like... I mean... uh, If you see a picture of him, it's kind of like... Yeah. Listen, you showed me a picture, and I understand, but that don't make it right, okay? (laughs) I I feel like they could have just done something with the last name Parrot, as opposed to just being like, you got a big nose there, George. Right, he had so many bird puns, like, uh, beak (sighs) jokes that they could have thrown in there, but they were just unoriginal, and I think that's why I hate it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So... Not only did Big Nose have an unfortunate nickname, he also had quite the reputation around Wyoming. He was known as a rather unsavory character, shall we say, coupled with the fact that his nose was ginormous. Right, and that's why I'm saying he does deserve the ridicule. They just needed to be, like, more creative with it. I can side with you on that. I can side with you on that. So, George was famously wanted for being a stagecoach and train bandit. Together with his group of outlaws, they would stop and rob pretty much anyone who crossed their path. Sounds like you shouldn't cross their path. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
things started to get a little spicy for Big Nose in August of 1878. That summer, George and his gang planned to rob a pay car that was traveling on the Union Pacific Railroad near Como, Wyoming, which is located east of Medicine Bow forest for those who know the area. Yeah, I was gonna say if any of you know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Wyoming kind of by Laramie. Yeah. Everybody knows that Wyoming's just a simulation put on by the government anyway. Well yeah. Well yeah. I mean no one actually lives there. No. They're all just an illusion. <laughs> an illusion. So are you saying the first seventeen years of my life was an illusion? Doesn't it feel that way? A little bit. Right. Yeah. And then you moved to Colorado and actually started living. I met you. Right. And, you know, things have been going swimmingly ever since. Except you don't know how to swim. Yes! <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> that hurts. Accurate, but it hurts. <laughs> so back to the story. So, every month around this time of August, the Union Pacific Railroad would send train cars full of cash through this area for the company payroll. With this information, though, George and his gang were like, oh, this would be a fantastic opportunity to derail a train and uh, make off with some goods. I mean, when you see the opportunity, you take it. Wait till you hear the plan they had to derail said train. Now, I've never tried to derail a train, so I don't know how well this plan would work, but it straight up sounds like some Looney Tunes shit. I've watched, like, series of unfortunate events where they switched the train, and I've played a lot of Grand Theft Auto where you have to jump on a train, but yeah, I don't know the first thing about actually derailing one. So this was, this was how their plan went. The bandits would hide in an area which the train would cross. They loosened the spikes in the rails wrap the rails in telegraph wire, and they plan to pull the rails loose from sagebrush nearby right when the train was approaching. That sounds like some real wishful thinking there, buddies. I mean, again, I don't have that much experience in derailing trains. But I do think that, like, a train track would be way heavier than wire could manage. That could probably be why they have a gang. Right. Bunch of strong outlaw cowboys. Dudes. Right. I don't know. Like we discussed last week, everyone in the 1800s was buff. (laughs) Naturally. That's just how it works. They didn't have power tools, so they're just naturally buff. They're just buff. Yes. Okay. Well, this plan didn't quite work out. You don't say. I don't. (laughs) I mean, I do say, actually, now that you say that. So... After they loosened the spikes, some railroad employees happened to come by and notice the loose rails and immediately alerted local law enforcement and then proceeded to fix the loose rails. They're bad at this. Was he a successful, like, stagecoach robber? Up until this point, yes. So this was just, like, a blunder? Like, this was just, like, a a misstep in his criminal career? Yes. Okay. This is the step that led to the downfall. The downhill step. Maybe he should have stuck to stagecoaches and not fucking trains. Yeah. I mean, 
I wouldn't mess with the Union Pacific Railroad today, much less back in the day. Right. Yeah, no thanks. No. No, 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 Hard pass. So, after being alerted to the deeds of the outlaws, Carbon County's Deputy Sheriff Robert Widowfield and Union Pacific Detective Harry Vincent decided they were going to take off after these hoodlums and take them down. So the chase then led them to Rattlesnake Canyon at the base of Elk Mountain, where Big Nose and his gang were then cornered. As a result, they turned and murdered the deputy and the detective before fleeing to Montana on August 19th, 1878. Fun. All of this sounds, like, so fictitious. Like, the way that it's... It it, plays out. Yeah, the way that it plays out, it just sounds like a fairy tale that you tell your kid at bedtime to get them to, like, stop asking for water and to hug the cat one more time. It's just like, well, you want to hear the story about Big Nose George and his gang of bandits that tried to rob a train? Like, it's, it's a fucking action movie. But a bad one. Until we get it's to... It's a lack of action movie. <laughs> until we get to the later part. Yeah. When it gets real interesting. This is all just laying the groundwork. So, they did shoot the deputy. But they didn't shoot the sheriff. Awful. <laughs> so awful. So, for a while, the outlaws eluded capture and proceeded to steal several thousands of dollars while on the run in Montana. So, they were mildly successful. So they were now not only wanted in Wyoming, but in Montana as well. Hell yeah, doing that real outlaw shit. Yeah, get it, big nose. Bang, bang. (laughs) So in early 1879, Big Nose's counterpart, Dutch Cheney, was unfortunately caught during transportation through Wyoming for... I have typos. (laughs) That makes no sense. Anyways, he was caught, his train was intercepted, and he was lynched right there on the spot. Well, yeah, anyone with the last name Cheney is bad news. That's a fact. Especially Dutch Cheney. Yeah. That's just not a good name. No, he was born to be an outlaw. Exactly. Not a good name. But due to his misdeeds, it was determined that Dutch Cheney was not worth to be buried in a cemetery, and somewhere outside of Carbon Cemetery lays his unmarked grave. Now, would this be foreshadowing to the fate of our man George? Perhaps. Or perhaps the fates have something slightly more gruesome in store. What do you think? Uh, I mean, hanging's pretty fucking gruesome, so I'm really interested to see what, like, kind of spicy shit they cooked up for our old boy George. Well, we shall see. So now, apparently, his nose was not the only thing that was big on our good old boy George. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not what you're thinking. Apparently his mouth was even bigger than his nose. Good for sucking dick? Yes. Yes. Actually, no. It's all in the technique. It's not in the size. You can fit more, though. No, no. It's all... It's the throat. I'm just saying you could fit double the dicks in a big mouth. Uh, Fair point. 
Fair point. And I'm sure if he had said technique, he might not have wound up in the position that he found himself in. Accurate. So, with that big nose and big mouth, while in Montana, George started bragging about all the crimes that he committed up in Wyoming. So he was saying, oh, I murdered this deputy and this detective. So he was not a professional outlaw because professionals don't go around bragging about the crimes they do. They lay low like the actual badasses they are. They do their shit and go on with their lives. This guy Mm -hmm. just was doing it for the the infamy. Yeah, well, we'll see where that leads him. So naturally, while he was bragging about all of these awful tough guy things he did in Wyoming some uh, people overheard him and alerted the Carbon County Sheriff James Rankin like you do when you hear one bragging about murdering someone in public yeah so called up Wyoming over the wire whatever they had back in those days you know what I mean yeah, exactly. A little telegraph. Been like, yo, bro, your man, Big George, he's in Montana. So Rankin then headed to Montana, actually caught Big Nose, and then returned to Wyoming to bring him to justice. Fuck yeah. Go but Rankin. We'll find out if justice was actually served. <sighs> Oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite stupid jokes. You ready? Oh, I'm so ready. How does Batman take his drinks? Ha- just ice. <laughs> just ice. Yes. <laughs> I don't think there's any just ice in this story, but we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Not. We'll see. So this is the point where shit starts to get real wild. So I'll save you from all the boring legal stuff in this part because I kind of sort of don't quite understand it. Cause, Good. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the legal mumbo-jumbo uh, very much. Yeah, me neither. That's why I studied English and philosophy and not law and probably why I'm here today in the financial situation that I'm in. Woo! Woo! But that is a scary story for another day. Yeah. And not today. So, it would appear that George could not make up his mind. Throughout the trial, he changed his guilt plea to and from guilty numerous times. He even filed for arrest of judgment, which was denied by the jury on December 5th, 1880. Overall, it took from September 1880 all the way till April 1881 until George was finally deemed guilty and sentenced to hang... He literally shouted his crimes in public. How did it take them that long to deem him guilty? I mean, I guess we can just take mild comfort in knowing that, you know, the processes that law goes by is still just as slow now as it was back in the 1800s. Yeah. It's still slow. So, I don't, I don't know. See, but you know, in the, this day, though, if someone shot a cop, they'd be sentenced to prison 
like life in prison immediately. That's a fair point. And if he was such an infamous outlaw, again, why would it take them so long to sentence him, even if he claimed arrest of judgment for a second when he shot supposed deputy? He didn't shoot the sheriff. But even if he had a lapse in judgment in that exact moment, he still He's had a still life. A robber. He still He's still a robber! He still had a background of crime, and they're like... All right, so you, like, may or may not have, like, shot this deputy, but we're gonna, like, talk about it for a while. It's like, okay, but he literally, like, has done so, so much else. Tried to rob trains, rob many stagecoaches. It's not like he had a clean record. It's not like he was, like, squeaky clean before that. Uh-huh. A cab. Continue. So, it would seem that, uh, when it came to horse theft or train derailing, Big Nose was pretty fearless. But when it came to death, that was another story. Ten days before execution, Big Nose attempted to escape from jail. He somehow got a pocket knife and used it to saw through the leg shackles and then proceeded to use the shackles to attack the jailer. What are those shackles made out of if they are weak enough that you could cut it with a pocket knife? Or what is the pocket knife made out of? Right, that's either a very strong pocket knife or weak shackles. I am gonna say that they're not, well, because the shackles have to be strong enough to choke out a guard. Well, he, he didn't choke out the guard. He beat, beat him. him with them. So they would have to be heavy enough to cause some severe Serious damage. So, yeah, what the fuck? Damage. Was that, like, a knife made out of diamonds? Like, I mean, I don't think the jailer was rolling in it at that time period, but who knows? So that's, that's the story. That's what's in, you know, the story. So we're sticking to it. So pocket knife. Sure. Somehow. Sawed through the shackles, beat the jailer over the head with them. So he struck him so hard in the head that it not only caused severe scarring on the jailer's head, but also gave him brain damage. I don't know what these shackles were made out of, but you know. Weak enough to be cut with a pocket knife, strong enough to knock the fuck out of somebody, I guess. But again, 1800s, everyone was buff. Yeah, everyone so, was, was buff back then. Including, apparently, the jailer's wife, Rosa. So, she heard the commotion, locked the outside door of the jail, trapped George inside, took her husband's revolver, and alerted the neighbors. So, what a badass. She'd be the real hero she of the story. She on some final girl shit. Like, she would survive yeah. the horror movies. Yeah. I, uh, I'm pretty sure the jailer died at some point after this due to the head trauma. So. I mean, I, I would believe that being beaten over the head by shackles would, yeah, not, yeah. not be pretty. So, uh, Rosa is definitely our final girl. Yes. And probably the only redeemable character in this entire story. In the entire state of Wyoming. No, maybe two others. Yeah, maybe two others. So, Big Nose's plans were thwarted, and he was then returned to his jail cell. So things at that point seemed to be slightly back on track for 
George getting his slice of the justice pie until about 10 p.m. that night. So at that point, due to him and his actions up until this point and attacking the jailer, a large mob of masked men decided they were going to burst into the jail, demand the keys to George's cell from the poor jailer who was already beaten that day and his wife at gunpoint. Then the mob escorted Big Nose George to a nearby telegraph pole where they stood him up on a kerosene barrel and threw a noose over the pole. But naturally, things wouldn't end quite so easily for George. He couldn't go out with just a good old-fashioned lynch mob. I mean, he did go out with a good old-fashioned lynch mob, but it was a touch-and-go for a while, shall we say. So, the rope broke the first time they tried to hang him, and he fell. He then pleaded with the mob to shoot him instead. (laughs) But the mob was pretty persistent. They're like, nah, 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 brah. You get in the good old-fashioned hanging. So then they got a ladder because the rope had broke. So they got a ladder to make up for how short the rope was now and tried it again. So once George got to the top of the ladder, the ladder was then pulled out from under him. As he swung, his hands came untied. So he then attempted to climb the telegraph pole to escape being hung. He was a persistent motherfucker, and this crowd needs to get better at hanging people. I mean... Lynch mob, I am assuming they don't have that much experience. This is also the Wild West, so they might have some experience. Right, but you think before you'd start a lynch mob, you'd maybe ask around, hey, does anyone know how to do this? Or, like, have some good rope? Right, does anyone have, like, a reliable rope? Or know how to tie a good knot so his hands don't fucking slip free? I don't know. I would have been frustrated at that point and shot him anyway. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, this whole thing is just shoddy from the get-go. It reminds me of an old, like, Three Stooges sketch. Yes. That would happen where it's just, like, they're trying to be so serious about this, but then shit just keeps going wrong. Yeah, it's up there with, like, a Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton thing, too. That's yeah. what I keep thinking of, is the, the scrambling and the yes. falling and the... Yeah. So, eventually, though, Big Nose's luck was soon to run out. As he climbed the telegraph pole, he slipped and then eventually choked to death. Third tries the charm. I guess... By the end of this ordeal, it was reported that as many as 200 people had gathered to watch the sight of Big Nose George Parrott getting lynched. Nothing brings people together like a good old-fashioned public execution. Am I right? Absolutely. <sighs> now, our story does not end here, though. The thing that makes Big Nose George so interesting, though, is not what happened during his life, but what actually happened 
afterwards. Now, enter the main hero, I suppose, of this story, Dr. John Osborne. Now, due to the fact that old Big Nose wasn't the best person around, no one came to claim his body. So, Dr. Osborne and a Union Pacific Railroad physician, Thomas McGee, were both at the hanging to make sure that the outlaw died. The two ended up having then a brilliant idea while waiting to see if anyone would claim this body. They were going to claim George's body for science. Science! Science! Fuck yeah, science! Um, uh, as exciting as science can be, remember that we are talking about 1800 science, so it can get a little, uh, gruesome. Yeah, the, the morality of the people back in the 1800s was definitely not up to the uh, standards of today, I would definitely have to say. Yeah, so... The whole reason Dr. Osborne and McGee wanted to claim the body was to see if a criminal's brain was really that different than a normal person's brain. Newsflash, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Abby normal is not that much different than normal. No. No. Now, before... Dr. Osborne and McGee were able to peek inside Big Nose's cranium. Dr. Osborne wanted to cast a death mask, which was practiced back in the day. So using plaster, Dr. Osborne made an extremely creepy mold of George's dead head. Minus the ears, though. I bet you're wondering what happened to the ears. Yeah, why didn't he cast the ears? Because he didn't have any ears when he made the cast. What the f- Why? So, when uh, George was being hung, he struggled so much that he literally ripped his own ears off. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Like, you're already in a tough situation. Why make it worse for yourself by, like, ripping shit off of your literal body? Yeah, He so he literally ripped his own ears off while trying to escape the noose. Pulled a Vincent Van Gogh, but not for love, just for, like, shits and gigs. Well, more like for life, but it didn't work out (laughs) that way. So, now that the death mask was complete, it was time to examine the brain. Have you ever seen death masks in person? They are, like, the creepiest shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went to this haunted-ass museum in a tiny little town in Florida, and they had a wall just plastered, no pun intended, with death masks. And, like, I just felt like I was being watched by every quarter of the room. And, yeah, my soul slowly escaped my body and ran through the room of dolls out of that place. (laughs) I mean, I would, too. Body intact, though, because I'd be running out of there. So... In order to examine the brain, Dr. Osborne and McGee crudely sawed off the top of George's skull into two pieces. Now, the first piece, 
I guess, was kind of crummy and lame, so they didn't do anything with that piece. But the second piece, the big dome cap of the skull, McGee actually gave to his best student and protege, Lillian Heath, who then later went on to become Wyoming's first female physician. That's pretty fucking cool. So other than the jailer's wife, I would say she's the coolest person in this whole story. Because after she became Wyoming's first female physician, she was known to have kept the skull throughout the entirety of her career and would either use it as an ashtray or a doorstop in her office. That is fucking iconic. Yeah, she's definitely the hero of this story. Like, I would Mm -hmm. 100% do the same. Like... Like, why wouldn't you? It's a perfect bowl shape. And you didn't know where it came from. No, she knew. Oh, she She knew where... She was there. Oh, well, fuck yeah, then. She's just a badass. She was just like, oh, cool. Skull ashtray? That's going in my office. Yeah, if I had the opportunity to have a skull ashtray, like, I would do that for sure. I think it was just the usefulness. Right. The multiple uses that she found. Right. See, I I have to give extra points for creativity. Mm Mm-hmm. Always. Mm Mm-hmm. Like... They get points docked because they weren't creative with their insults, but she gets, like, their extra points for being so creative and having multi-use skull. Okay, now, before we award the creativity award, let's just hold off till the end of the story and see who then gets the creativity award, I Got it. Okay, okay. So, after finding out that, you know, there is indeed no apparent difference in a criminal brain and a regular one, Dr. Osborne and McGee were left with the rest of George's body. Up until this point, our story has been fairly run-of-the-mill Wild West stuff, but here is the really spicy center. So Dr. Osborne decided that he was going to skin George's body. So he skinned his body, chest, back, thighs, predominantly. He then sent the skin to a tannery in Denver with a set of some very special instructions. He requested that the tannery use the skin, specifically including the nipples, to create a pair of shoes and a medicine bag for him. High fashion. I'm just wondering what the tannery thought. Right, and so you said what time during the 1800s did this happen? This is 1880s. Okay, so this shit was going on in Denver at the same, around the same time that E.P. McGovern was, like, fucking with everything. Yeah. Denver needed to get its shit together. The the country did and still needs to get its shit together. But... Like, aside from that, being a small business owner, you own a tannery, you're seeing mountain men, you're seeing hunters, people who want pelts, and all of a sudden some fucker from Wyoming's like, yo, here's some bro's skin, I want shoes. Don't like, forget the nips, though. The nips are the most important the part. The most important part. Like, paying extra for the nips. You need that decoration. You need that thing that's going to make you stand out. Yeah, and nothing stands out more than nipples on the toe of your shoes. Exactly. Like, fuck the fact that the shoes are made of skin. Human skin at that. Yeah. The nipples are what really, like, just pulls the whole thing together. And being an owner 
and a worker in a tannery, you know they know the difference between flesh. Right, and like animal hide. Yeah. Like, you could try and pass it off and be like, oh yeah, this is my pig. Like, pig skin. It's like, no, the fuck it ain't, bro. Like, <laughs> no human when I see human. Right. And I just, the thing that... I just wonder what the fuck that would smell like. Trying to tan human skin. Oh. Human leather, I don't think, would be a very pleasant I mean, they experience. use all sorts of chemicals and stuff. Yeah. And particularly the chemical components they used back in the day were pretty fucking gross, so I'm sure that would cover up any smell. That's fair. Yeah. That's why people only lived to, like, 30, maybe, back then, because they were just breathing in chemicals and prescribing cocaine for the ghosts in your bloodstream. I would take some cocaine for the ghosts in my bloodstream. I mean, well, yeah, I always have ghosts in my fucking bloodstream. (laughs) We gotta keep those fuckers at bay. And so... This is the point of the story where we get into our questionable fashion choices because this is the point of the story where George now is a pair of shoes and he is then shipped back to Dr. Osborne, which though, much to his disappointment, did not include the nipples. That's it. I want a fucking refund. I only got these shoes for the nipple toes and now I don't even get my fucking nip toes. I want a refund. No nip Turn them back into regular skin. <laughs> no nip toes. I want my nip toes. But despite this disappointment, Dr. Osborne began to wear the shoes and use the medicine bag regularly. That, I don't think, is very appropriate doctor bedside manner. If I'm being rather <sighs> honest with you, showing up to work with a med bag made out of human flesh from someone that you were responsible for. I mean, it's kind of poetic, though, in, like, an odd sort of way. Like, your job is human bodies, so why would your... See, I would just use that bag, though, to, like, threaten any patient that didn't want to do what I was telling them to do. It's like, this is what you need to do for your health. If you don't, this will be you next, motherfucker. Like, you're going to be skin bag number two. I'm going to have a collection wall full of you bitches if you don't listen up. And perhaps that is the way he did his business, because uh, he was elected to a pretty high status later in life, so we'll see. But that is just the story of George's skin and skull. Now, there was the rest of his body. I mean, we still have a whole rest of the body. Right. You can't waste a whole ass man like that. Well, clearly Dr. Osborne didn't think so either. So for quite some time... The best part about conservation, you use all parts of the animal. Dr. Osborne was a big believer in conservation then because it did not say specifically how long, but uh, the records indicate quite some time, so my guess is a month, maybe more, Dr. Osborne spent dissecting and experimenting on various parts of George's body. Woo! Science! Until there were no more parts that could be dissected and or experimented on. And then guess what he did with it? He stuffed the remains in a whiskey barrel and buried them in McGee's doctor's office's backyard. Not I even his own backyard. Love that though. He's like, that's how you know that he knows he's done some real fucked up shit. When he's like, 
Alright, not only do I have to hide this body, but I'm gonna bury it in that motherfucker's yard. And guess what? When he gets caught and arrested, everyone will have to come to my practice. And then I'll have all of the bags before too long. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, and here's another possibility. They were real good besties. Because I would let you bury a body in my backyard. I mean, and I would let you bury a body in my backyard. Not like I have one, but at my hypothetical backyard. Exactly. So, they could just be, like, super solid type besties. That is another possibility, too. See, but when you said stuffed at first, before you finished your sentence and said, into a barrel, I got really excited and thought you were going to say, like, taxidermy. And I was going to be like, whoa, dude, this man's, like, real fucked up. Like (laughs) ravioli? Is that what we're talking about? (laughs) I just meant like a muscular system of the human body, but stuffed and like real. Like, this Uh, is the stomach. (laughs) No, not quite. He more just messed with it until it was just like a pile of mush and was like, hmm, this is starting to stink. Let's just shove this in a whiskey barrel and bury it in McGee's backyard. I wonder how many poor animals that man murdered as a child. I'm willing to bet a lot. And I almost guarantee you that's why he got into the doctor profession, so he had an excuse for cutting people up. H.H. Holmes. Not only that, but after this, Dr. Osborne then became a politician. Of fucking course he did. What a perfect job for him, corrupt-ass motherfucker. Psychopath, sociopath, let's become a politician. And in 1893, John Osborne was appointed as the governor of Wyoming. Uh, So he was very successful as both a politician, a doctor, and a game player of operation. But not only that, Guess what the man wore to his inauguration? The titty shoes? The lack of titty shoes? The lack of titty (laughs) shoes. Now, to this day, you can actually go see the shoes and the death mask at the Carbon County Museum in Rollins, Wyoming. The bag, however, has been lost. And no one knows where it is. Probably out of Goodwill somewhere. You want to go Goodwill shopping? Absolutely. <laughs> now, later on, at the end of Lillian Heath's life, they, I don't remember why exactly, but she knew where they buried the remnants of this body in the back. Well, of- obviously, if you get a skull from the person, you're involved at a level where, like, you're going to know the next steps. So she knew where the body was buried. So towards the end of her life, by the time she was, like, in her 80s at this point, would have been, like, probably 1960, 1950, they exhumed the whiskey barrel and found the remains of Big Nose and were actually able to match the top half of the skull that she still had up until she died with the body. So they were able then to prove for a fact that this actually happened. Now, unfortunately, all that was left was fragments of bone, so they couldn't quite see the extent of said experiments, but... So did anything happen to, like, fucked up Dr. Doom? No. Of course not. He just became a successful politician and got to live his, like, white guy life. 
Yeah, at one because point... that's one thing that white people are great at, is just, like, putting horrible people on a pedestal. Absolutely. And at one point, he was the head of the Rollins Bank, and put the shoes on display in the How? lobby. So this must have been, like... I just don't Years. Understand. Years. I just don't understand. <laughs> so, at some point... Maybe this summer we're gonna take a little field trip to Rollins. Because I just looked it up, it's only two and a half hours away. And we're gonna go check out these shoes. Fuck yeah. And the super fucking creepy death mask, which proves George had a big fucking nose. I still think they could have been more creative with the fucking insults. Yeah, just a little bit. Like, I don't condone bullying, but like, do better. <laughs> And that is all we have for you guys this week. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you all next week. Bye.